watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes, comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte, and we have three movies for you today. The Last Black Man in San Francisco, The Dead Don't Die, and Papi Chulo. And as always, we're going to rate those movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. That mess. Uh, Jason, what is going on? What is the scene? What's happening? Well, first, an announcement, both to you and to our listeners. I have quit keto. Yes. I'm shocked. The day has come. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I just hit a natural breaking point with it recently, mm. and uh, yeah, I've gone ahead and I've, I've, uh, I've stopped. You're doing what everyone does, which is subtly eye my body to look for evidence <laughs> of immediate bulk, <laughs> uh, which is what I love the most about telling people that I quit keto, is seeing their eyes go to my flanks. <laughs> I was reading your shirt. <laughs> I thought it might be related. You mean this graphic tee I'm wearing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Uh, so yes. So guys, the days of hearing me talk about keto on the podcast are done. You're welcome. But we're going on a European summer cruise. I know, and that's okay. all the more reason why I should not be doing it. You can't do keto when you're in Barcelona. Yeah, all you eat is ham. Well, but it's like tapas. Everything has like a bread element. Tapas. Tapas. I mean... In Barcelona, everyone eats tapas. Oh, Jesus Christ. Get ready. Um, get ready for a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's why you pre-keto, and then when you get there, you go wild. But whatever, you do you. <laughs> I don't think that's the way that's supposed to work. Because uh, then it's just going to yo-yo. Anyway, the point is, I'm done. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and right now, I'm swinging way to the other end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, there go your eyes again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Yes, yes, the thighs are thick. Mm-hmm. It's true. But with that said, um, we have missed a number of key releases that have come out in theater so far this June. Mm. And, um, and it's not that we slash I haven't seen them. It's just that we slash I haven't had time to actually sit down and tape the show. So mm-hmm. um, we are going to run through some capsule reviews of a few key titles that have come out in the first few weeks of June that we have not talked about in the show. Uh, starting with Late Night. Oh, right. Which I alluded to seeing on our last episode mm-hmm. uh, when I was in my existential free-for-all um, spiral. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, talking about my my newfound dislike of film as an art form. Is this at all related to the keto? <laughs> no. Yes, I'm just like, if movies no longer provide me with any comfort, then I'm going back to carbs. <laughs> should, I be, should I be keeping tally of... <laughs> right, it's just like my cycle. Okay. Yeah, yeah, just like any good co-host and partner. Yeah, just map my cycle as you see it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm currently cycling away from movies and toward carbs. <laughs> um, so... Late night, that looked terrible. Did you think it looked terrible? I thought it looked terrible. I thought really? the trailer, I, I was, um, you know, it's like that thing where you're like, oh, the trailer probably has all the funny parts in it. And uh-huh. I was like, oh, those are the funny parts. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Late Night is, I believe, as I said on this show, fine. Mm. It's just fine. Uh, there are some pieces of it that, I mean, and I should say, I have historically been a huge Mindy Kaling fan. Uh, I've read both of her books, uh, of course, watched her on The Office. I've watched every episode of The Mindy Project as it hopped from network to platform. 
And um, and I was very excited when I found out that she was writing and starring in a movie with Emma Thompson, who is one of my favorite actresses of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the finished product is just very meh. Um, it's not especially funny. It has a few kind of like semi-cutting insights. Um, like if anyone was going to write a movie um, about a woman of color who is hired as a diversity hire to join the writing staff of a late night comedy show. I'm happy that Mindy Killing is the person that did that. Mm-hmm. You would think that she would have a lot of insight to bring to the table. Um, but it kind of all gets muddled and comes out a wash. Uh, a big part of that is that the character Emma Thompson plays, the late night host that she plays, is just fundamentally not believable mm. as somebody who would have attained like this iconic Letterman-like status. And Mindy Killing has kind of joked about that in the press. She's, I guess, it's about a... You know, a famous female late night talk show host, so it's a fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but something about it, it just it just you don't buy it. Like Emma Thompson's character is not winning in that late night talk show host way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also in sort of like the the key conflict in it, the fact that Mindy Kaling's character is you know a woman of color who is being hired as a diversity hire and joining this writers room full of white men um, is almost it's kind of like the B story in a lot of ways. Um, And the A story is that Emma Thompson has found out that her show is going to be canceled by the new female boss at the network uh, who wants to bring in like a new Dane Cook style comedian played by Ike Barinholster plays her. Mm. Um, So it it feels like it's weird that it is in some ways tackling internalized misogyny uh, by having the woman be the villain. Um, but it doesn't actually dig into that enough. So instead, it just seems like a story where women are being terrible to women for no larger context or reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and and maybe, you still didn't like it. And I still didn't like it, <laughs> despite being a Housewives fan. And uh, and Mindy does her usual thing of writing herself a series of romantic subplots with gorgeous white male actors, uh, which she did for the entire run of the Mindy Project from yep. beginning to end. Um, and, uh, yeah, the whole thing is just, um, just kind of a missed opportunity. So mm. it really bummed me out. It's a, it's a consume. Wow. There was Dark Phoenix. Oh, right. Oof. Oh my God. That was a bummer. Uh, so that was, of course, the, the final, um, as far as we know, X-Men film in the initial Fox iteration of the X-Men films. And Wow. Wow, was that just a flat line. Just DOA, nothing fun or pleasurable or entertaining about that movie at all. Just... So this is like uh, Them But Younger? Yeah, it's like Muppet Babies X-Men. Okay, thank you. Um, and uh, and which they started off, the first Muppet Babies X-Men movie, uh, which I think was Days of Future Past, started off pretty strong. And then it's just wildly devolved since then. Mm. The one before this was Apocalypse, um, starring your favorite... Um, uh, your favorite actor of, of ethnicity you, you prefer to question. Don't even say it. Oscar, Oscar Isaac. Isaac. Mm. Um, and, uh, and now this one is just, it, it's just, it's just a DOA movie. There's just nothing there. Um, Scott has always been a massive X-Men fan. I took him to go see this one. And yeah, I think even he was surprised at how dreadful it was. Just boring. Yeah. It's just boring. It's lifeless. It's entirely too serious. It loses any sense of fun, but, oh, it's, no. all, but it's also not like, cause the X-Men movies, at their best, um, make really powerful, urgent use of the symbolism of their characters. Mm-hmm. Mutants. Yeah. Um, and this doesn't even do that. 
mutants. <laughs> mutants? <laughs> mutant babies. That's fine. I said Muppet babies. Mutant babies. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, found it. Um, and this is just, yeah. Not to be confused with Teenage Mutants. Teenage Mutant Ninja Babies. Without, well, some ninja. Yeah. Hmm. All right, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting we'll there. We're working it out. on it. We have, an, we're, we have an hour at least. We're workshopping. We're taking things on the road. Um, yeah, it's just really dull, really boring, not entertaining. Yeah, it's a send it back. Oof. Um, there was Rocket Man. Yes. Did you go see that? I didn't. Ah, even though I'm so wanted to see it. Yeah, and you kept talking about the butt. I, and yet I, I still didn't. There was a, there was, yeah, there's, uh, it is definitely better than Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we will we'll say Great. that for yeah. it. Uh-huh. Um, it is, uh, yeah, it's, it, it really plays with the form um, by having these very heightened sort of more fantasy elements to the way it tells its stories and narrates its scenes and identifies these milestone moments in Elton John's life. Um, it is still, uh, it's, I mean, and I, I really appreciate that they went for the R rating and that Elton John mm-hmm. was like, no guys, no, like we're not going to neuter my life story. I think he's like, he's like, I've lived an R rated life and my film about my life should be R rated. And it's like, all right, Elton, we get it. You fuck. <laughs> um but uh but uh but yeah so uh it's it's and he really wants you to know he hates his parents uh Mm-mm. so there's that but in there but there is there is a comical amount of overlap with bohemian rhapsody um and i think i was like running through two or three things with you and then yeah. vulture published like a full list of oh, them wow. and it was like 20 things long wow. so it's more or less the same movie but better so good, I'll say good, that. Good. And, uh, you know, and Elton John did himself the gay solid of casting the forever fuckable Taron Edgerton to play his never for a moment fuckable self. <laughs> <laughs> so that is, that's your right. When you are super yeah. famous and they make a movie about you, you pick the fuckable person to play you. Yeah, he didn't pull a Ginsburg. No. <laughs> that's a Ginsburg. <laughs> or she just played, what is it, the ultimately fuckable person to play her husband. Right. <laughs> That's right. Full focus, as he would say. Yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah, Elton does not. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, no, Elton's Elton's husband, David Furnish, is not a character in this movie. So Mm, Elton's mm -hmm. like, I'm going to tell the good old days (laughs) before I knew that guy. I did um, recently. I've been watching Fosse Vernon. And uh, I still still think uh, Jake Lacey would, um, would have been great in the Army Hammer role. Jake Lacey. On the basis of sex. Is a snack on Fosse Verdon. Oh my god. He always looks the same. He he always looks like he's getting gradually more jacked every time I see him in anything. Oh maybe, yeah. Like he yeah. has those scenes of Fosse Verdon where he's like laying in bed in like old timey boxer shorts mm-hmm. and his legs are like exploding. It's I couldn't even. <laughs> it's a lot. And like they he had nothing to play in that show at all. Nothing. No. Um but goddamn did he look good just Nobody sitting there. Does. Nobody has anything to play on Fosse Verdon? No, I'm except for Fosse and Verdon. Right. Everything else is just like a bunch of lampstands, and then those two just kind of <laughs> twirling around, doing the minimal hip wo- hip swivels. Yeah, <laughs> uh. that's my new dance move. Yeah. Smaller, <laughs> smaller, <laughs> smaller. Uh, the funniest thing to me about Fosse Verdon is the extent to which it was clear that Nicole, their daughter, insisted she be written into the show. Oh yeah, um, and yet they have absolutely nothing to say about her. Nothing. So but they just so she's just there all the time, being unremarkable and very boring. Really, really. And, Even when she um, has her like out like her little outrageous streak, it's right. also the most like. It's so funny. And didn't she? Did she like the writer producer of this? Yeah, 
yeah <laughs> so then i'm i'm suspicious I'm, I'm dubious about her involvement because i feel like she like wrote it in her contract that she needs to be mentioned like so many times an episode mm-hmm. because like i get that she's their daughter but the amount of times they show them talking about her is just like it once i noticed it i couldn't notice anything else about the show no no and there is also a certain school of thought that thinks michelle williams might be overdoing it with the voice and the lips with the whole thing yeah well but i i think she's great uh, but there's definitely like Wait, a which whole, Michelle Williams? The white Michelle Williams. Okay, thank you. Um, there is definitely a lot of people who are like filming clips of her reacting to things in the show and posting on Twitter. Like, did <laughs> she, she pull one over on us? <laughs> uh, anywho. She can do no wrong. No, no. At the end of the day, she cannot. Um, have you finished the show? No, not yet. Okay. It ends strong. Um, so there's. did it make you want to go back and watch any Bob Fosse movies? No. <laughs> Have you seen it any keeps of them? Remind, reminding me how much I hate musicals. Oh, yeah, with all those. I'm like, thank God they're doing Chicago. I can, I can take that one. I can take that one. <laughs> Fucking Pippin! I swear to God, I was like, I'll, I'll shut this off right now. Oh my God. Oh my God. Not cabaret. No fake Ben Ben Vereen. Get out of here with that. <laughs> you need Ben Vereen realness. Here's the thing. I'm gonna say it. I've never seen cabaret. Okay. Does it, did it make you want to see it? Uh, so I've I've wanted to see it for a while, but ever since uh, Trump, I can't. That's fair. Yep. That's fair. Having seen it, uh, having seen the production of it during just the 2016 campaign was upsetting enough. That's um, the worst. So watching it now would be really hard. Mm-mm. So it's the worst of all feelings. Yeah. You're like nothing could ever go. Oh, never mind. Everything. Went yep. Back. Yep. No. I mean, there are enough obvious parallels between now and then as it is. The bowler hat you keep wearing. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that just looks good. But if you want to make it part of that narrative, then I guess we can. I mean, it fits. So that's Rocket Man. Uh, that would be, <laughs> I would give that a consume as mm-hmm. well. Um, and then Ma. Ah. Ma. So interested to hear this if I if it's what I say. But I hope it's going to be. If not, I don't want to hear it. Earmuffs. Earmuffs me. <laughs> what do you think it's going to be? Really good. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 mostly good, I would say. Um, I, I wish it would have gone a bit further. It goes, there are a few parts where it goes pretty far, um, but it kind of stops short at just hinting at mm. some of the really fucked up things they could have done. Uh, like it's still, it's like, it's, it's kind of like looking at its subject, like through its fingers a little bit. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. but there are a few things where they do commit and sometimes just suggesting can almost be more Mm -hmm, such mm -hmm. as like, they really have like a lot of strong implication that Octavia Spencer wants to like fuck these teenage boys. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and there's a scene where she makes one of them strip completely naked in front of her. And and just like she, Octavia Spencer plays this character like such a loose cannon, um, and the way that she pivots um, in her moods is terrifying. Oh my god! Can't wait to um, see it. So yeah, Octavia Spencer is fantastic. Um, Juliette Lewis, my girl, mm-hmm. um, plays is still playing moms. She's still in the mom period of her career, and that's okay. okay. Um, but she brings a lot of of texture to a character that's just the mom and the main character. Like mm. they they write a lot of background for her missy pile is in it playing a trashy bitch the way only she can <laughs> oh my god is she brilliant um uh luke evans uh is mm. fantastic in it so the the one weird thing so it's directed by tate taylor who directed the help <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, he, and he and octavia are longtime friends mm-hmm. um and also allison janney's in it oh yeah 
And so it's just, and they're clearly, they're all having a good time. Um, but I will say the movie does suffer from the same sort of complete lack of racial optics awareness. Mm. That also plagues one of the movies we're talking about today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so like the fact that it's, the fact that Ma is a black woman and that she is like seeking out all these white teenagers, just the optics of that is never really explored. Uh, so it's hmm. it's a kind of it's a kind of obliviousness um, that would should not surprise anyone who saw the help. Uh, Interesting. I mean, well, what do you um, what do you think would be the angle that it should explore? I feel like this is not at all any sort of stereotype. I mean, female, like, I don't, I don't know what happens. So I'm going to say like female serial killer is not really like a thing. So Mm -hmm. it seems like it could exist outside of like an unknown uh, angle. Well, it just doesn't really acknowledge it and acknowledge it. It acknowledges it briefly in two sort of like bizarre. There's, there's also, there's like a token black friend in the group. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, and there is, something that he says to her and then something she says to him later that acknowledge because it's a predominantly white area that they're in Mm -hmm. um and we have like flashbacks to things that because the whole idea is that she um went to high school with all of their parents Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and now and they all have lived in the same small town ever since um but the you know the the instigating thing in the beginning is that the main teenage girl and her mom julia lewis um, have just moved back to this small town where where they came from. Okay. And so and Juliet Lewis went to high school with Ma and all those other people. So uh but yeah, it, let's just say it's it's it doesn't quite there have been some really powerful pieces on this written by um uh, by female journalists of color in the New Yorker and Vulture, um, just about the movie sort of like failure to really acknowledge its racial optics Hmm. um Hmm. you know just to be like what does it mean that we can't just ignore the fact that she is like one of the only black people in this all-white town Mm -hmm. um and that she's like setting in that she's like you know this predator who's preying on these kids but what are her motives what are her ends uh you know how much of this is informed by experience of racism so the movie is just not interested in any of that hmm. um you know it just wants to have a good time and that's you know what it does okay uh and i mean octavia spencer let's not forget was a producer on green book so right and also as you mentioned the help yes um so uh but yeah but it, it is it definitely doesn't aspire to any uh any loftier thing and uh it has nothing to say about race uh but it it is it's bonkers it is definitely well, bonkers. I am even more excited. And uh, and I yeah, you, you can mean, tell that they were probably getting some studio notes that were like, let's just tone this down a little bit. Mm. Um, but much uh, like the help, <laughs> much like the help. Uh, originally, it was going to be a shit pie filled with razor blades, mm-hmm. uh, yep. but they're like, let's just leave it be a it's shit just, pie. Yeah, and they're like, fine. So much for Bryce Dallas Howard getting a mouthful of razor, <laughs> which Elton John would love to see happen to her. I wish he plays his mom in Rocket Man because he hates oh. his mom. So, anywho, that is our roundup of those four movies, and we got three more to go. Three more? Three? Well, in the actual episode that we're about to start. Oh, not, right, not we're doing that more, part too. Not three more capsules. Right. Okay, so yes. then let's start doing those, shall we? Let's do it. Um, the f- like, what, what, what three? Wait, what? Aren't we're we doing done? What? That that wraps <laughs> I'm it up. Pretty sure we're done. No? Capsule. <laughs> <laughs>
The first movie we're going to talk about this week is The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which is also our pick of the week. Jimmy and his best friend Mont try to reclaim the house built by Jimmy's grandfather, launching them on a poignant odyssey that connects them to their past, even as it tests their friendship and sense of belonging in the place they call home. I'm interested to get your take um, on this movie as a gentrifier mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and a uh, wanderer. Sure. Um, this movie, the headlines that I have seen have been that this is a talk a movie about gentrification. I don't think that's true. I don't think it's true either. Okay, good. And think, so our second movie this week. <laughs> guys, we agreed. I mean, there's gentrification is happening in the backdrop of this movie, mm-hmm. but that's not what it's about about. No, this movie is about putting your hopes and dreams and fears and aspirations into something that isn't exact into some sort of symbol. And mm. We all do it to a degree. Um, sometimes it's like, I don't know. This kind of reminds me of that article that was in the cut a little bit ago about um, incels getting plastic surgery. The chads. Yeah. Yeah. And and like, it's it's like, no, dude, just like go to the gym a little bit for like way cheaper and less painful. And because you're not bad looking, right? Like they picked these the guys in the article, like weren't that bad looking. And they like had to go to this. Their mind was, if only I get this nose, if only I get this chin, then this is the thing that will be the thing. You're like, those guys aren't incels. They're vol cells. They're voluntary celibates. (laughs) You're like, they could get some. They could. They're just not asking. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing too, right? It's like self-confidence and like right. all these issues that are just like not handled in this idea of like getting this thing that is so wildly unattainable. Mm-hmm. I love that like no matter how like beautiful or poetic or lyrical or elegant movie we're talking about, you'll tie it back to some like internet conspiracy nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> You're As like... a lizard person, gentrifier. <laughs> <laughs> You don't know, of Chad's. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was really proud of that. Oh, no, that's good. Um, anyway, this movie is beautiful. <laughs> it is very beautiful. This movie reminded me of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Huh. It's an odyssey. Mm-hmm, yeah, it's mm-hmm. an odyssey. Yeah, populated by sort of like unique characters. Mm-hmm. And it has that. Um, there's like a Greek chorus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has just like a brother where art thou it's visually just stunning absolutely stunning one of the most beautifully filmed movies I've seen that I can remember and a movie that um, like really shows the the beauty of San Francisco while not using it as a crutch yes uh, so this is the filmmaking debut of a fifth generation San Franciscan named Joe Talbot uh, and it stars his longtime best friend, um, a, a man whose name is actually Jimmy Fails. That's also the character he plays. Mm-hmm. And it is inspired by Jimmy's own life um, as a person, uh, as a man who you know grew up as a black person in San Francisco and whose family once had a house, a beautiful Victorian, and then the family lost the house. And Jimmy spent most of his upbringing and childhood sort of drifting around, not necessarily in the custody of his parents, um, you know, definitely living uh, in the uh, low-income margins of the city. Uh, and Jimmy Fails has described this movie as a love story between him and his house. Mm. And I think that it is that. Like, when I read that, that really kind of unlocked a way to understand the movie for me. Because it feels like a love story. Mm-hmm. It's so mm-hmm. fused with that kind of hopefulness 
and like dreamy optimism. Uh, and when you think, if you think of it as like just a story about a, a man chasing th- that which he loves, the object of his affection, and trying at all costs uh, to be with it, uh, it's stunning. It's powerful. I think it also explains, like you mentioned earlier, that people in all the headlines are like, oh, it's about gentrification. Um, and I think even when I first heard about this movie coming out of Sundance, the title makes you think that you're in for mm-hmm. like, Mm-hmm. A movie like Sorry to Bother You or Blind Spotting that's going to be a much more sort of like seething, scolding indictment of all the ways that San Francisco has changed mm-hmm. um, and of gentrification and of displacement. Um, but this movie is actually has more of a long game view on that subject. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that has a true locals and not saying that either of us are that but that has a true locals understanding that San Francisco has always been a city in flux. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, even going back to, uh, because in, in the film, the house that uh, the house that Jimmy is pursuing is a big Victorian in the Fillmore that, um, that, he's, uh, that he believes that his grandfather built by hand after World War II. Um, his grandfather, he, uh, who he knows as having been the, the first black man in San Francisco. Right, um, right. And uh, so the Fillmore historically has been uh, a black neighborhood in San Francisco. And what they point out that something I didn't even know, which is that that mainly happened whenever um, the Japanese citizens of uh, the Fillmore were put into internment camps during mm-hmm. World War II. And that opened up a lot of these properties. Um, and of course, more recently, the black population of the city has dwindled to unbelievably small uh, numbers. It's currently, I believe, at 6%. Wow. Uh, so, but, so the movie has that kind of, that long time locals understanding that San Francisco has always been in flux. Even like Jimmy, Jimmy's character was not displaced by tech money. Right. Jimmy's character has always, he's never really been, he's never really had a firm home. Like he moved, his family lost that house when he was like six years old. And, um, but he has always lived in San Francisco and he loves San Francisco. Um, and, uh, and he knows that he will not be able to, afford the house to buy it when it becomes suddenly available again. And so he and his best friend Mont try to basically move into it and hope to develop some sort of squatter situation and just live this romantic bliss mm-hmm. of being in the house, living their the life that they dream of living together. Mm-hmm. What did you think of their friendship? So his friend, his best friend Mont, mm-hmm. who I think that uh I at least spend periods of the time, periods of the movie, wondering if he was real or not. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this like also this movie is a kind of a love letter to skateboarding. Yeah. Um, kind of a, uh, a a a a real story of people who don't fit in. Um, because while he is like the last black man in San Francisco, and and he and his best friend are both black, they don't really fit in with the guys in their neighborhood. Um, his friend Mont like dresses like he's from the forties. Yeah, like he a hangs dandy. out. Yeah, like a Danny. He's a playwright. Hangs out with his grandfather and like Danny Glover, of course. Mm. <laughs> um, and and it he's such a, a quirky fellow who yeah. is kind of hard to understand. But as you see, how everyone else is kind of has this like surreal acting in the in the movie as well. It starts to make more sense. Where Jimmy is really kind of the only believable character as like um not like a not a caricature of people or not like mm. a not a not a uh, i don't know not a fictional character mm. I don't know, he's he, jimmy's more grounded where um everyone else kind of just you know like speaks a little 
out of um like out of reality a bit mm. yeah i mean the movie has a sort of you know heightened quality to it mm. um certainly in the photography right from the opening scene uh of a of a, of a young girl in the Bayview uh looking up at mm-hmm. a man in a hazmat suit right right i didn't know what i was in for studying yeah. there <laughs> i was like oh it's the future right yeah no it's just just baby hunter's point yep yep uh this this so jimmy fails also um is a it comes from a long line of san franciscans and uh and this movie does the city's geography proud uh it's not mm. one of those movies like blue jasmine where it's all over the place uh like the characters get from point a to point b and you understand how they got from point a to point b <laughs> um so, but yeah, so the movie does not have, I was like really bracing for, uh, yeah, for basically for some sort of lecture um, about, you know, racism in the city, about, you know, the corrupting evil of extreme tech wealth. Um, and just, yeah, all the subjects that we have heard about ad nauseum in countless essays about the death of San Francisco. And I was like, all right, well, here's that in movie form. Let's hear it. And I was so pleasantly surprised that that's not, that was not the agenda. That was not in the docket for them in making mm-hmm. this movie. What they've done instead is something so much more personal. Mm-hmm. Um, something so personal, something so heartfelt, something uh, so tender. Like it's a tender, gentle, beautiful love story. So evocative. I felt, I felt so filled with emotion that I wasn't even sure mm-hmm. what, it, what I was feeling. Yeah. Um, but but just full of it, yeah. You always feel full of it. I mean, also <laughs> <laughs> stop. Hmm. Uh, but but I want to know more what you think about the Mont character. About oh yeah, so yeah, there <laughs> is. Uh, so between Jimmy and Mont, there is. They have a very comfortable, intimate, affectionate friendship that definitely it it borders on seeming like they are a couple. And uh, the Mont character in particular seems that he is perhaps meant to be understood as gay. Mm. Um, I think that was like the first thing that maybe Ingu or someone said to me after we watched the movie was like, that guy was gay, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like, why do you come to me with these questions? <laughs> uh, but no, I was really moved by the depiction of their friendship mm. um, because it's also it stands in stark contrast to the Greek chorus of uh, of guys standing around outside um, Mont's grandfather's house in Bayview uh, with all of the uh, you know posturing and aggression and shit talking, um, and then there's Jimmy and Mont's friendship, which is really just this pure thing that is mm. um, that is unthreatened. Uh, by you know masculine values mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what did you think of it um you're like i didn't think mont was real the whole time so i mean know. that that took a, took you, just, a moment. You, just, you just put a fight club bet on it right off the bat you're like come on reveal because <laughs> <laughs> you kind of get i don't know jimmy is this um kind of skateboarding cool character in in terms of aesthetics and i sort of thought mont was going to be his like more thoughtful like inner inner side mm-hmm. um and then seeing them together yeah it really reminds you of that friend you've had forever where you can just kind of sit in silence mm-hmm. and still kind of act like a kid with and who who really like understands the your hang-ups and the and the things you don't get right and 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 like forgives you for it right so mm-hmm. 
Mont does everything he can to, to, to try to help Jimmy get this house. And then, uh, you know, Jimmy sort of like, I want to say pushes, but that's not even right because it's not mm-hmm. like, it's just like the, you would, like you would with someone, you know, um, Mont to, to, to write on his plays. Yeah. And, um, it was, it was so again, tender. Yeah. And, uh, it really feels like a new thing in a way, this movie. It feels very new. Like it, it reminds you of certain things, but at the end of the day, it really is its own thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's such a remarkable first film. It's incredible. It really is. It's incredible that it's a first film. And, you know, like it's not like A plus perfect. I think it, it, it runs out of steam a fair bit in its final act and it runs maybe a little too long. There, I was like, okay, this is the, this is the end. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. So it's still going. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Still have some more. Um, but... It's incredible. I'm at a loss for words. Um, you know, it's it's so it feels profound. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It's by no means something that you have to be in San Francisco to understand and appreciate. I think it taps Absolutely into something not. universal. And the funny thing, it actually reminded me of um, a little bit of Ghost World. Um, and Thor, uh, sure enough, Thor oh, Birch yeah. <laughs> shows up at the end of the movie. Um, yeah. But uh, but you know, it's it reminded me of of Ghost World just in a certain structural way and the way you have like this person who's kind of like kicking around this area that they, you know, are have the, this kind of pull toward maybe leaving, um, but aren't ready um, until they are. Mm. You know, I think the final sequences of both movies, I think the final sequence mm. of Ghost World really mm-hmm. reminds me, uh, I was reminded of that scene watching the end of this one. Yeah. You won't see a more beautiful movie this year. No. Everything feels so... Um, for first again, like especially coming in thinking it's going to be about race and about mm-hmm. gentrification, yeah. and um, you are not preached to at all. No, you are entertained. You are reading a book on screen. Mm. You are like you go and you meet his aunt and his mother and his father, mm-hmm. and they all have different stories. When he goes to his aunt's house and and to she's Sheena with her, Arnold. yeah, her husband or boyfriend mm, oh, um yeah. it's such a just a weird a lot of humor I, I, a lot of really great humor we, i feel like we could describe it right now and you would be like what why is that right. endearing but it is so good mm-hmm. um and his father lives in an sro mm-hmm. but even that doesn't feel nothing feels like a stereotype no. and everything just feels like these are like people you've seen around yeah. and not nobody you don't like you're not supposed to feel sorry for anybody right. um except again i think that that really relatable feeling of like Putting all of your kind of uh, dreams on one thing that yeah. may not be a realistic thing for you to do, I think is super relatable yeah. um, for, for most people. Yeah. And this movie is, it's just incredibly big hearted. Mm-hmm. It's super yeah. big hearted. It's super compassionate. Sincere. It's very affectionate. And, um, and so in that way, it's just infectious to watch. Like it's just a, you know, it could have been, especially when, like we keep saying, when you think about what it could have been and what maybe mm. people expect it to be. Um, when you sit down and, and, and experience what ultimately is so much more pleasurable um, and heartening than that, um, even though the narrative of it is not like a wish fulfillment narrative, mm-hmm. um, it's just incredible. I think it's the best movie of the year so far. Yeah. And it made me like movies again. I was going to ask. I was going to ask. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I saw it at uh, the Alamo Theater on Mission Street and like. When he goes to that realtor's office, you can see yeah, the Alamo here in the background. I was like, yeah. this is really? I probably will never have this experience again <laughs> where I am in the theater that I'm seeing in did, the movie did right people now. people start clapping? No, nobody did. Oh. I know. So you were like looking around I, all yeah, excited. I was like, does anybody else? Am yeah, I, am yeah. I it? Do I, right. do I see myself <laughs> yeah. if I wave? <laughs> Over here. <laughs> I, 
think it's, it's one of those like especially as a first time film where there are these like little uh, to me it was at the beginning there was some like timing issues I was like it, it seems like a tiny yeah. bit amateurish yeah and then it becomes like then you realize there's a style to it so that kind of yeah, goes away and it finds yeah Did, um, you wound up seeing blind spotting eventually blind spotting the one with david yes. diggs yep yep so that's the one that most people compare it to i think this is i think this is oh far my superior to that i mean i didn't think that that was bad but i mean that has a very preachy obvious yes. message with like a with a monologue and a yeah. and like and the rapping yeah. with the cop uh, <laughs> which I didn't forget. even know you were in it until I saw that part <laughs> <laughs> it's similar to that movie in like if you cut out the entire part of that movie that's about the police shooting and it's just like the vignettes the two of them yeah. like going around Oakland yeah then yeah I think it has a somewhat similar feel but also this one is so much more beautiful and, yes. and um, artistic yeah so this but, is a whole different dimension of like the the Bay Area you know renaissance of, of filmmaking this is yeah, this is a very, this brings a whole different kind of grace note to it than what we got from the more caustic films that we had last year. Sorry to bother you on blind spotting. Mm-hmm. I also, oh, I mean, sorry to bother you. This is more close to sorry to bother you for me. Like hmm. where it's like the same thing with the characters, like not really believable and everything is mm. like close enough to reality, but like a bit surreal and you're off, like, right. and then things go way off the rails. But one, I loved how it really showed San Francisco weather. Like mm. everyone's wearing a sweater and a jacket yeah. and he's always wearing that large flannel mm-hmm. um, without it being too obvious. And then uh, also I think that with, with movies like this, it comes, it, the authenticity and the sincerity are what totally push it past the line. Mm. Um, if yeah. there was any sort of uh, anything, any gap there, I think it would have been very obvious. Yeah. Um, Yay, you like movies again. Yay. Oh, it's a no. Uh, until the next one. I see two. what the next one is. But for now, this is a binge This it. is a binge it. Yes. I, can, I Genuinely, I can't think of another movie this year that I think is better than this. And of course, it's been yeah. a truly horrible year for movies. Truly, truly horrible. Well, save that it's for the next me. two. <laughs> right. Save not it. Not to get ahead of myself. <laughs> the... Um, the Last Black Man in San Francisco is rated R for language, brief nudity, and drug use. Binge it. Go see it in the theaters. Yeah. See it on a big screen. Pay for the things that are great. Yes. Um, especially for new artists you yeah. want to see. Now, we get to the other part of the show. <laughs> Movie number two, also with Danny Glover, The Dead Don't Die. The peaceful town of Centerville finds itself battling a zombie horde as the dead start rising from their graves. I think you had said a little bit about this in your uh, You're right. rant. I did, yes. I was, yeah, I listed this book, Smart, and Late Night, whenever I had my like three days in a row of seeing movies that I thought I was going to like and then did not. Mm-hmm. And of those three, this is by far the one I hated the most. Oof. <laughs> so we have Jim Jarmusch, we have Adam Driver, uh, Chloe Sevigny, um, Bill Murray. So this is basically like a broken flowers uh patterson this is everyone it's iggy pop iggy pop it's selena gomez of course yeah like you do <laughs> so jim jarmusch made a fantastic oh, tom waits uh tom waits jim jarmusch made a fantastic pseudo horror movie a few years ago which was only lovers left alive mm. also with tilda mm-hmm. and with tom hiddleston uh, that movie is fantastic. It is incredible. It's gorgeous. It has a great sense of place, a sense of style. It's incredible. It's gorgeously filmed, beautiful performances. So I was excited to see what he would do with a zombie movie. And 
maybe he was excited too. Um, but he ultimately didn't try kind of doing anything at all. There is nothing to this movie. It's barely a movie. Like it was, it feels like something, it feels like, you know, how Adam Sandler just like keeps getting his friends together in like Jamaica to mm. like quote unquote make a movie. Yeah. Um, but really it's just like the most threadbare thing while they're just like having Netflix pay for them to have vacations. Mm-hmm. This feels similar in the sense that it feels like just a bunch of people who are friends uh, who just like got together to like shoot a movie, but there's, it feels like there's just no script. There's nothing really happening. This movie is such a shrug. Um, it feels like it's shrugging as you're watching it. And the thing that's incredibly infuriating, probably the most about it, is that it feels like it's too cool to try. Oh. It's too cool to even try. Um, it feels like it, it, it has, it does some lip service to like social cultural commentary about what the zombies represent. But then it's so flat affect and so kind of empty and pointless uh, the entire time that it undermines any actual meaningful, you know, uh, thoughts it wants you to take away from it. This movie feels like it's like the movie equivalent of like having an edible and your whole body goes dead and time stops moving. <laughs> That's like this movie. Wow. Um, it is fitfully amusing. There's a few moments where you're like, huh. The rest of it, just nothing happens. There is a lot of really, truly bizarre and pointless fourth wall breaking meta humor. Oh, no. Um, like Adam Driver and Bill Murray be sitting in a car. And uh, Bill Murray is like, oh, something's bad going to happen. And Adam Driver's like, oh, how'd you know that? And Bill Murray's like, oh, I read the script. And Adam oh. Driver's like, oh, you got the script? Bill Murray's like, oh, yeah. No. Oh. Uh, there's this, uh, there's like a stupid running gag where there is a theme song, um, The Dead Don't Die, performed by Sturgill Simpson, that all the characters know about and keep playing. And it's like playing in every scene. And there's like a CD, there's like a CD single of it that every character has and keeps playing. Um, it just adds up to nothing. It's a pointless, mm. meaningless, nothing of a movie um, that does absolutely nothing with any, with any of its cast. It was infuriating to the point where her. I watched it with my friend Rory, and when it by the time it ended, I had already gone to a place of pure rage um, <laughs> in my feelings toward it. And then it took Rory was still stunned, and then we like went to get drinks after, and then he started to get like violent <laughs> while we were having drinks because he was getting so angry thinking about what a fuck off the movie was. Wow, um, Tilda, nothing. Tilda is like she's there and she's being Tilda, and but that's not enough. If anything, you're just angry that she did it. Mm. You know, you're like angry at everyone in the movie for enabling Jim Jarmusch to make this fucking nothing burger of a movie. Uh, it is, you know, maybe say nothing burger. I'm not proud of I that. know. I don't know what happened there. I apologize. I was going to edit it out, but then you said it again. Um, yeah, there's just there's just nothing to it. Uh, it is, you know, it's certainly not scary. It doesn't really try to be. It's not really funny. It has not. It's not insightful. It's not doing a riff. It doesn't have a take. It's just nothing. Um, it's just people who presumably were... I mean, I will say, the one amusing sight is Iggy Pop as a zombie. Mm. Because it looks not unlike just Iggy Pop on a normal mm -hmm. day. Yep. Uh, but just seeing Iggy Pop try to do like a zombie face and like walking around like... Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> and, you know, Adam Driver's amusing. You know, I feel like he... Most of his roles these days are so much more serious and dramatic. So it's fun to see him do a more like deadpan humor mm. uh, based role. 
but yeah, like it's just too cool to try and fuck that. Yeah, that's there's like, no time for that. No. So fuck this movie. Man, they they wasted all those good three billboards costumes for nothing. <laughs> I know. And Caleb Landry Jones is in this too. Mm. But uh, but yeah, it's the kind of thing where like, you know, you're introduced to characters. And then next time you see them, they're already dead and you never, never even saw what happened. And you're like, oh, OK, well, I guess that's done. Oh. It's just, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just nihilistic nothingness, but not even but not with any actual urgency or anything to say. It's just bullshit. Well, then let's just uh, shut this review down. Send it back. Send it back. Hard send it back. The Dead Don't Die rated R for zombie violence, gore, and for language. Movie number three. You saw this a while ago, right? This was at TIFF. Mm. Uh, Poppy Chula. After a newly single TV weatherman is put on leave following an on-air meltdown, he directs his energy into home improvement and hires a middle-aged Latino day laborer named Ernesto to help. Despite a language barrier and having nothing in common, the two men develop an unexpected but profound relationship. This is one of those I don't remember exactly if we talked about it on air or just socially. Right. right. Um, but we, this came up a while ago, and then um, I was surprised it was coming out now. Yeah. Um, and do you want to just kind of are you still are you still at where you were then? Yeah, um, I just, uh, so yeah, so I saw this last September, so it's been a minute, but then oh, today I yeah. read um, some reviews to like refresh my memory and to get my hate back. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, they, they brought me back. So I feel like I'm, I'm up, I'm, re- I'm refreshed, reminded and ready to, to discuss. Nice. Um, immediately following seeing this movie, you had went with um, a friend, right? I went, uh, there was a guy that I work with who was at the same screening I was, and then we both went to... Uh, party and um and then this guy I work with uh um who happens to be of latino descent was like oh my god like that was so good right and i was just floored um you know and not that it should matter uh but you know i was just like i you know i know i i really did not think i thought that that was incredibly out of touch offensive tasteless and should not have been made and he was like why and um, and the one the take that I had on it that I actually didn't really see reflected a lot in reviews. I'm curious to see if you think that I was like out, uh, off base with it. No one else pointed out what I thought was a very me too uh, aspect to the movie, in the sense that Matt Bomer's character is essentially taking advantage of a day laborer and paying him for the boyfriend experience. So to me, it was him taking this incredibly vulnerable person. You know, there are a few populations more vulnerable in the United States than than undocumented day laborers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we have a wealthy white man uh, who takes this undocumented day laborer and then essentially pays him for a boyfriend experience across a series of days and dates and go sees and, um, you know, and then eventually does attempt physical romantic contact with him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and to me... And while the, you know the entire time just staring at him with these like big crazy googly eyes, <laughs> uh, so to me that was that was an added dimension that made me very uncomfortable. Uh, and right from the very first time that Matt Bomer sees Ernesto uh, when he's at what the Home Depot or whatever, and there's like this lingering almost like slow mo shot of Ernesto yeah. lifting up his t shirt. Um, and like wiping the sweat off his face and Matt Bomer's like, oh, 
um, because you know we find out that Matt Bomer is uh, is recovering from a breakup of sorts, and that his partner was Latino, and so he you know we we get it spelled out more or less that mm-hmm, he's transferring, mm-hmm. you know he's transferring his attachment to his partner onto this day laborer. Mm-hmm. I'll just go ahead and say at this point the movie is written and directed by an Irish guy. <laughs> uh, so it's funny because at the end it was like for my family and I was like what right. <laughs> yes it's written and directed by an Irish guy mm-hmm. not an Irish American guy just a full on Irishman mm-hmm. um, no offense to defits uh, <laughs> so I guess we shouldn't be surprised it doesn't have the most nuanced grasp on uh, on American racial and ethnic sensitivities mm-hmm. uh, so but yeah so that was part of my take um, the reviews I was reading today were not talking about that as much as just sort of the inherent exploitative nature of even their friendship and just like the green book of it all. Um, that this is mm-hmm. yet another story about, um, you know, a white person who is leaning on a brown person to help guide their journey of discovery and enlightenment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, while the brown person is not developed in any way, is not given any particular dimension, mm-hmm. uh, is not given any particular, especially in this case, agency. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is also the summary of our show. <laughs> <laughs> and I do call you Poppy Tulo. <laughs> so there is that. There is that. I have mixed feelings about this movie right now. Uh, I just finished it. Yes. Um, I I was primed for it to be this exploitative rage fest mm-hmm. um, because you you definitely set it up that way. Um, and we had a when we had a similar discussion, you had mentioned that it was this sort of like Me Too mm-hmm. um, dynamic. I don't know. I mean, I'm definitely very disappointed at the end i think it starts off strong and the fact that his that matt bomer's character is so obnoxious mm-hmm. where he just talks to this guy in english right. and um is like just so oblivious to um what it's like to not uh be a native speaker or to like look brown and the way that the world treats you um just like you know over the top in terms of like not getting it at all mm-hmm. and so because that that's so extreme, I, I I felt like okay, this isn't going to be something where he's actually this is like a very serious story of manipulation, or they're going to like end up in love or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there is this there's kind of a twist in it that makes you understand a little bit more about why maybe someone would would do would go to these lengths um, to have this kind of clearly like one sided relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the the way that um, Ernesto ends up being, you know, you know, grows and his understanding of like sexuality, his understanding about uh, where he is in his life, and like forgives him, and his family takes them in, and that is is where things get a little uh, a little too much. Um, and I'm also super disappointed it's not a comedy. You start off with um, uh, uh, what's her name, Wendy, Wendy McLennan Covey, f- yeah, from uh, Reno Nine One One, and you have uh, Darcy. Carden. Carden from, thank you, I just keep pointing for last names, Darcy Carden, Carden. Um, from The Good Place. And I was really expecting something hilarious and yeah. um, and it wasn't. So that I found that disappointing. Yes, there's, there is, there's a giant bullshit twist halfway through that made me groan in my seat uh, when they hit it. And um, yeah, I mean, I just feel like this movie, this movie is completely unaware of its own optics. So sort of go back to similar to what I was talking about with Ma, but it's much worse. Like I, the movie does not understand uh, why it's in such poor taste that it's telling the story that it's telling. Um, and it does not understand 
Ernesto or his situation or his plight. Uh, you know, he is it's essentially a, wor- a nearly wordless performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he was Sp- except- Spanish is language. Yes, he was speaking Spanish. <laughs> You're like that was Spanish, actually. Those that was are, actually those were those were words. Those were words. Uh, <laughs> because yes. you didn't understand them. So yeah, no. So all his scenes with Matt Bomer, you know, things like uh, Matt Bomer, you know, making Ernesto row him across, you know, a lake. Uh, you know, Ernesto is, you know, is yeah, is just not speaking, and then we 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 only get to know anything about him at all because they show him make these little phone calls to his wife, mm-hmm. um, where he's kind of like trying to explain what's going on. And even then, he's he and his wife have been written in like a very sort of like gentle like mm-hmm. ha, 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 way, um, which didn't strike me as being terribly authentic for how they might feel about this if it were happening in real life. Uh, Ooh, what does that mean? Just it felt like you know they're like oh this is this is just kind of like oh he's got a crush on you oh you stop. Uh, it just didn't feel like. Yeah, I don't yeah. think anybody would be okay with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. I'm not saying just them being them. Mm-hmm. I feel like it is. It's I'm a, listening. It's a bizarre. It's a bizarre, fucked up situation, and uh, and I just feel like yeah, the movie is the movie is just another story about you know a complicated white person and an uncomplicated brown person who's being used to help guide the complicated white person mm-hmm. to the next point in their development. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is like super heavy uh, metaphor about the rain. Uh, I like. I mean, I will say Matt Bomer really gives it his all. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. He's is... very believable as this like American psycho type yes. gay. Um, yeah. No, guy. he goes all in. Uh, he does everything he can. Uh, there's a, it's a very he displays a very broad emotional range. It's uh, a very yeah committed kind of fearless intense performance. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was just like this, I just felt like in such incredibly poor taste because I just feel like I'm, and you're really just letting me say this and not joining in at all. Uh, but like, (laughs) but like, but like Mexican day laborers are like an incredibly vulnerable group. This movie doesn't seem to understand that at all. Like this movie just kind of like, you know, like these are all just characters playing out in this Irishman's vision of LA. Um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, as... he has this like throwaway line about like his fear being immigration, right? And then nothing more is kind of kind of comes from it, right? Like to have this movie come out right now in the Trump years and have it be so oblivious about all the actual struggles faced by people like Ernesto, and to have Matt Bomer's character never even really come to understand anything about that, like it's just there's just like the there's no there's this movie is just ugh. It's in such poor taste. Yeah, I mean, I guess like they don't really explore that. They they definitely do not explore that dynamic. I see what you're saying. It like you it could it could be a situation where um you know the Ernesto character could feel pressured not just by having been paid for mm. work he didn't do, right? But it's like you know would he call immigration on him if he didn't do right. the things he wanted him to do, right? Yeah, I mean, that he... definitely that definitely um is something that they yeah. don't that they foolishly don't uh, acknowledge yeah yeah I okay mean, you I, know what you're right <laughs> i'm like where's your rage uh you know like i met boomer's essentially yeah i mean he's he's you know he's he's he doesn't understand the extent that he essentially is holding ernesto hostage mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know like and he he's so oblivious of his own privilege and of the extreme power imbalance and their dynamic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the movie is also oblivious to it. Yeah. It's, yeah. It'd be one thing if the movie had a take on it and was like, had a perspective on it 
that was like, oh, here's where his character is going to realize how um, how incredibly irresponsible he's being, and um, and what a completely different experience this is from Ernesto's point of view. But instead, it just has Ernesto sort of lightly chuckling with his wife on the phone about it. Yeah, I think that's what that's why um, I I didn't go there right away is because it feels like you know Ernesto has like a wife and a home mm-hmm. and like it the undocumented thing isn't front of mind even though it is mentioned and it is a thing mm-hmm. it's not a thing enough that that in the movie you're you're really thinking about it you're thinking about right. like um he has like guilt about not actually doing the work he's being paid for and he's having so much fun so like that's just unbelievable yes no it's a fantasy yeah it is a fantasy and um I'll, you know i'm only gonna say it once more all year you're right that's it <laughs> i should be more outraged thanks poppy chula <laughs> see <laughs> oh my god yeah yeah no i mean this is yeah it just infuriated me and uh and i was so i definitely felt vindicated to see some other outraged reviews while i was doing my research today. yeah um yeah it's just oh my god so and, I, and I'm, you know, I'm bummed, in, you know, in the sense that, you know, this is like a queer filmmaker. His last movie was called Handsome Devil. That was like an Irish, like, gay coming of age romance a lot of people liked. Uh, but yeah, this is just, just a reminder to all international filmmakers. Mm. Um, if you're going to make a movie that's meant to take place in America and it's going to examine any issue of race or ethnicity in any way understand the dynamic yeah like hire a consultant or something Mm -hmm. because it's a powder keg around here so (laughs) don't just come with like making your whimsical take on what you imagine this thing could be Mm -hmm. like that is not going to go well for you yeah uh so what are you giving this one are you giving it a uh it's a send it back for me the vuelvalo (laughs) the what the vuelvalo I asked you to use words. Yeah. Send it back. Oh. Watch this probably. You just looked up on Google, Google Translate just now. What are you now. talking about? <laughs> I saw your phone. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's a send it back for me. It's probably not the right word. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, how dare you? That's incredibly insensitive. <laughs> Where are you going to give it? I just, um, uh, I'm going to, oof, I'm going to, I guess, yeah, I guess I'll give it a, I send it back. I'm sorry I don't have the fire about it. Yeah. I should. I should. <laughs> this is, yeah, I feel like, yeah, I, I need the Rebecca I've had on certain other episodes to be with me right now. Yeah. Not like this very like laid back, chill Rebecca I you had know, before me. things happen. Sometimes people make mistakes. They don't get it. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know. You're like, there for the grace of God, I you mean, know? I mean, uh, I'm torn as a, as like a the- queer person and a, and a person of color. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Where do I lie on this issue? Where do I stand on this issue? <laughs> Who could say? Yeah, like I saw myself in both of them, honestly. You know, it's, here's the thing. Um, I hate doing physical labor, um, but I love talking. So Right. You're like, I, and I am very I vain. And I am very vain. Um, yeah, it's a send it back. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I don't want to fight you about it. <laughs> and once again, uh, the dynamic of that movie has played out here in our midst. <laughs> I don't want to get you all angry. Right. You're like, you're paying me to be here and I want you to let me go. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, that's it. That's it. Um, thank you so much for listening to a show where Jason enjoyed a movie. Ah, it happened. Go see The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Yes. Um, also, be sure to subscribe. Um, you can do it on iTunes if you're an uh, iPhone user, Apple user, and you can also do it on Spotify mm-hmm. if you um, like 
this do you use other use other products the best product uh jason is on face uh, jason is on twitter at excess faggot i am at fight balance thank you so much for listening bye guys bye-bye binging on movies with rebecca and jason you made it to the end that's amazing there goes the binge